Levels of government debt have steadily increased over the last decade, jumping substantially during the COVID-19 pandemic. Latest data shows that South Africa is sitting at 67.4% debt-to-GDP ratio, and that's expected to rise above 71% in the not-too-distant future, while the U.S. is sitting at a debt-to-GDP of 129%. Now that interest rates are increasing to combat higher inflation, the cost to cover these debts are also rising making it increasingly difficult to see where government will get enough revenue to pay off these debts and to invest for growth going forward. To explore this further, we're joined by Adrian Pask, Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back. Various fiscal challenges the South African government faces have been in the spotlight lately with the recent budget speech and the State of the Nation address by the President, highlighting expenditure and revenue needs for the country. So combining both of those, what have we learned about South Africa's debt levels from these events? Hi, Kieran, and hello to the guys listening in as well. Yeah, I think maybe it could be useful to first maybe just start off with the, the simple mechanics of debt because it's going to help us in our discussion later on. But similar to a household or a business, whatever cannot be financed via income or taxes is typically financing through either your savings that, that you've accumulated or your reserves in, in the government's case, or those expenses will have to be financed through debt. Um, but the debt must ultimately... Be, be paid and it can't grow indefinitely. Um, and it's typically a helpful tool to navigate through a crisis to create some cash flow or for some bigger expenses, for example. So if you're a manufacturer for equipment or if you've got a COVID situation like we had, then obviously the debt does help you to navigate that situation quite quickly. But as I say, in the end, you need to be able to either show an asset for it, like a household would finance a, a property, for example. You at least have the asset that you can show for it, or there has to be some future income stream. And that's why the investment mandate for government is quite important. So we, our guys, talk a lot about infrastructure, for example. That's very good healthy spending if you can get a decent return on your debt. But ultimately, there is a risk involved because what happens if you either don't spend for infrastructure or you don't get a decent return on wherever your spending goes. And then obviously, as you mentioned in your introduction, when interest rates start to go up, then obviously the funding cost starts to go up. Again, very similar to a household that has to pay an increased bond repayment, for example. So with that in mind, it's actually quite easy to see why debt has increased so much through the economic crisis because more money was needed than what was actually available. But now time has moved on and we downstream from these crises. And now we need to start rethinking about how do we repay debts and where's the income stream and where's the growth going to come from so that we can finance that debt. And particularly important now, similar to households again, is the funding cost for government has also gone up as interest rates have gone up. That being said, we did have a, a very good debt consolidation plan, which has helped. And that's all the negotiations they had with the World Bank and the IMF, for example, where they consolidated debt at lower rates. Um, those things would have helped. But ultimately, the debt situation through the crisis would have escalated just simply because we didn't have enough money on hand. In the budget last month, it was disclosed that the debt to GDP is expected to rise above 71%. And that sounds like a lot, but in global terms, it's actually not. However, I guess we shouldn't be too complacent about that. Um, How does the South African debt compare to the rest of the world? And should we be worried about this? Yeah, I think South Africa is sitting, as as you say, at roughly 67% debt to GDP. And it's set to increase slightly over the coming years. So debt is high. 
and also problematic is the growth component is muted. So, so we're under pressure there. And from the latest budget, we can see that they forecast for gross debt stocks to increase to just under six trillion by 2025-26. And then the debt servicing costs that's linked to that that the government needs to pay is roughly 400 billion annually over the next three years. So these are, are massive expenses that the government needs to deal with. But the situation is by no stretch of the imagination unique to South Africa. Debt levels have been rising steadily across the world over the past decade, as you mentioned before. And if you look at the United States, for example, at 130%, the European Union is at almost 90%. China is around 80%. Japan is, I think that's approaching closer to 300% already. So we can see our debt levels are high and it's putting us under pressure, but it's definitely a global phenomenon. And by those standards, we're actually still quite reasonable from a debt-to-GDP perspective. I mean, are these figures worrying for you at PSG Wealth in terms of how you're structuring your portfolios and planning investments? Yes, I think in an increasing interest rate environment, the funding cost to cover these debts is the most important part for where we are now. So the debt really impacts us through those three avenues, households, corporates, or business and government. So from a household perspective, I think although the bond repayments and other debt repayments are going up with interest rates, generally we are still in better shape, especially globally, because savings rates really escalated during COVID because there was so much government support in terms of vouchers and coupons and, and subsidies, etc., that the savings rates escalated quite quickly. So from that perspective, things look maybe a, a little bit less dire than than for some of the others, for example. But if you look at what the impact is on businesses or listed entities on the JSE, so that's where things start to get important from an investment perspective. The lower levels of disposable income that sits with the consumer will ultimately hit the top line of the businesses. And as interest payments um, grow for, for those same businesses, obviously that starts to damage profit margins. So that is not a good combination for ultimately earnings at the end of the day. So we have already seen some businesses focus really heavily on expenses, especially on the offshore side. So we've seen many of the tech companies, for example, with large-scale layoffs um, to try and manage expenses from that side and protect some of the profit margins. But we also see debt repayment becoming a, a new trend. So previously, the debt funding was actually quite cheap. Interest rates were near, near zero. We now, as they escalate, the guys are backtracking a little bit on the share repurchase programs, for example, because they, they could very easily use the free funding in the market to buy back their own shares, where now that uh, capital is not for free. In fact, it's quite expensive. So they're abandoning share repurchase programs and rather electing to pay off some of the debt on the balance sheet. The market has generally not reacted very positively to that because the market generally likes share repurchase programs. But that being said, at least if we start to focus on debt, then obviously the, the risks that come with over-indebtedness start to go away. From a government perspective, we need to be careful because I think there's a lot of the thinking around what they term um, modern monetary theory. So that essentially just says you can take on as much debt as you like as long as you ultimately grow yourself out of your situation and, and repay the debt. The problem is that that is a quite a, a risky situation because what happens if the growth does not come? Then you essentially just build more and more debt. So some nations are now over-indebted and we've become concerned that the growth will be insufficient to repay these debts in some cases. 
And as I say, as rates have increased, bond yields have moved higher. So at the same time, um, the debt funding cost is, is, is really ballooning for them. The US, for example, has already reached its debt ceiling. So it, it's not allowed to incur any more debt unless that debt ceiling is raised in June. So effectively, what must happen for them is that that debt ceiling needs to rise or increase, but ultimately they then incur more debt to at least in part pay off some earlier debt, which is obviously not not ideal. But worse still is that they they effectively using more expensive debt to pay off the cheaper debt. So that debt balloon or funding cost component keeps on escalating in a very big way. So with all of that in mind, the South African situation all of a sudden looks far less strained. I know we talk a lot about ESCOM and our budgets and the lack of growth, but the, the situation elsewhere does look quite concerning. In South Africa's case, our debt to GDP is still relatively low, as I say. Economic growth is low and too low for job creation, for sure, and we should definitely improve, but it's actually on par with international standards, hovering around 2%. But the real big positive for me in the South African case was some of the comments that were made by the Minister of Finance, Minister Gorongwana, in the budget speech. We specifically mentioned that we, we need to use the proceeds that we do receive out of our tax collections for investing into the future. And I think that's a good narrative because previously a lot of the, the revenue collection just went to, to things that weren't necessarily going to pay off into the future. So we've got a good portion of our taxes going to welfare, for example. And those things are needed for various other reasons. But at the same time, you need to balance that against some investment into your future. Uh, something else that he mentioned was that we need to start thinking in terms of trade-offs. So you can't just spend on everything. We need to start to budget more carefully and there will always be trade-offs, which I also think speaks to good discipline. I mean, these are some of the basics of good budgeting that weren't previously necessarily there. And then lastly, you also mentioned government non-interest spending will be kept below the level of revenue into the future. And at the same time, they will try to target the stabilization of debt. So some really good positive comments that they realize the situation is dire and they want to get it under control. And the culture of overspending and hoping for the best in the future is, is going to be put on hold. We want to get to grips with uh, the financial component. Uh, just very quickly, Adrian, you, you did mention there is such a thing as good debt and bad debt. Maybe just quickly explain that. Yeah, I think a good debt is something that you can use. So say, for example, a manufacturer, there are many businesses out there that have large capital outlays where they can use the banking system to access funds, to invest in their businesses, to ultimately grow them create jobs, etc. And in those cases, debt is, is necessary. It's a very useful tool. But when you incur debt to do other things that aren't necessarily going to put you in a position to pay off that same original debt burden, it's going to land you in a, in a problem. So it all depends. Debt in itself is not a dangerous thing. I think it's more a case of understanding what is the payoff for the debt that you incur. Is there anything coming back? Is there an asset that backs it, etc.? And finally, let's just tie this back to the impact public debt has on investment. Why should investors be aware or concerned about the debt levels that they're seeing? And they might be quite alarmed having just listened to the last budget and figures that are thrown around like Japan having debt to GDP of 300%, United States 129%. Those do sound alarming. So what should they be concerned about, investors I'm talking about? Yeah, I think it's going to be really important to understand how debt markets function and also to evaluate businesses and governments on their spending patterns. How is that debt deployed? And I think that should be an ongoing thing. 
But more immediately, I think, given the high level of debt that we already have, and simultaneously the, the higher interest rates, there will be governments that face funding bills or interest rate bills that they haven't previously faced before. And, and how they navigate that. And similar to previous comment around trade-offs, where will the trade-offs be? So if that money is now being utilized to pay off debt or fund the debt, where are the gaps going to be? Who are the losers in that equation? And I think it's really important from an investment research perspective to understand how that capital will move around. If it's going to be, so in, in the Japan case, for example, there's various murmurs around significantly increasing corporate taxes to try and offset some of the additional expenses on, on the debt side of things. And that will have a material impact on corporate earnings. For government bonds, I think it's quite material because for such a long time, we've just accepted that, for example, US treasuries, that's the risk-free asset class. But all, all of a sudden, we've got the US on a debt ceiling. That can't be a, a risk-free asset. So how do you reprice that asset then for the risks involved? And that's a complicated job based left for investment professionals. So you can look at the yields and say the yields are significantly better than what they were 12 months ago. But how has the risk moved in line with that? Maybe the risks have actually moved even more quickly up. And then you've got to decide how you incorporate those two different sets in terms of opportunities and risks into the portfolio. We're going to leave it there. That was Adrian Pask, Chief Investment Officer at PSG Wealth.